Hello, and welcome to the XXLA Architects Podcast. I'm your host, Audrey Sato, and today I'm joined by my fellow businesswomen and friends, Harper Halperin and Luciana Tagliaferri, as we talk with financial planner Renee Cohen. Longtime listeners will remember Harper and Luciana from episode four of the show, where we talked about starting a business. It's been really essential for me to have these women as my support network, and we've seen each other through a lot of ups and downs in our lives in the past few years. Well, just a few days ago, we all attended the Powerful Conference, which again was a sold-out event and was incredibly inspiring. To tie into one small aspect of the day, in one of the panels on women in film, Peggy Reisky, an Academy Award winner and dean of the LMU School of Film and Television, said her advice to her 25-year-old self would be to start planning for retirement. Well, though none of us in this episode are 25, I think it's super important to think about the financial aspects of how we set ourselves up for success both personally and in business. If you heard my interview on the Midnight Charette podcast, I really believe that we need to value our time and expertise and pay our interns. And the only way we'll be able to do that as business owners is to get comfortable talking about money and figuring it out. So let's dive right into talking with Renee Cohen about financial planning. So on a high level, what I do as a financial advisor is really partner with people to help them understand where are they currently at in their financial life, what do they want to achieve, and making sure that they have a roadmap of good tools and strategies that best serve them to be well-positioned throughout their entire financial journey, um, making sure that they're not only just thinking about uh, you know their accumulation phase, but making sure that they're being well-positioned in their distribution phase. And what I mean by that is making sure that everything they're doing so hard to save and grow money um, is actually lasts and sustains in their vision for the quote unquote retirement years. And um, to kind of narrow that down into for the architectural and design world, I know a lot of people don't think that they're ever going to retire in this industry. <laughs> it's like, I can work until I'm 95 years old. And that's perfectly fine. But you know, regardless of industry, or whether you're a business owner in this field or working for a firm, um, there's still more about what does that vision look like for continuing to work, how you want to work? Do you want to continue to work for yourself? Or do you work part time? And but we all have aspirations of what does the second phase of our life look like? Mm-hmm. And it's important for our generation to really think through that, not necessarily always having the full clear picture today, but we are going to have to self-fund that distribution phase of our life because retirement is always, it's going to be the biggest purchase that you'll make in life. That's where I help people. And then part of that is, uh, you know, not just on the personal financial journey side, but, you know, a lot of people today are the entrepreneurs and, and business owners and helping business owners navigate through all the, the decisions that they have to make and think through of how how does that business lend itself to my personal financial journey? What are the things to think about as I'm growing a firm mm-hmm. or growing a business and bringing on people from an employees or independent contractors? How do I protect myself? All of those different pieces um, can help business owners think about it in the context of also their personal journey. Mm-hmm. So how did you get where you are today? Yeah. So my journey has not been linear. I started my career in the sports marketing realm. Mm-hmm. I came to Los Angeles 16 years ago. Um, but I, I grew up in New York. I went to University of Florida for undergrad. I've always been a fanatical sports fan. So if you know anything about University of Florida, big into college sports and 
just became ingrained in the collegiate athletic world and wanted to become an athletic director. I moved to Miami right out of school um, to pursue that path, realizing that I was not making any money and that I was going to have to travel across the country from small town to small town. And that wasn't really my lifestyle. So I came out to Los Angeles simply because I had an uncle. He had his own marketing business at the time and he worked in the entertainment field, but it seemed like a much better opportunity to work for him than going back to New York and living with my parents with no job. Um, I was like, sure, I'll move to LA and I'll work for you. That sounds so fun. You know, I didn't really like working within the entertainment space. Um, I found a job at Fox Sports. It just was right time, right place. It just was a perfect fit for me in, in that moment in my career. I was with them for almost eight years or almost nine years. I progressed my career with them and I moved around different departments, but it really was at mid-management level that I couldn't break through. Um, and as I saw my responsibilities increasing and very incrementally being able to get the financial component to what my responsibilities were, it just made me more and more frustrated. It probably was when I turned 31 and was like, what is life and what am I working for? Um, and I started to realize I fell out of love with working in the sports world and wanting to have more empowerment and decision-making that for my own journey, I realized that I wasn't doing what I needed to do financially. One, because I wasn't making a ton of money, so I didn't really have the means. Um, so the more that I tried to dig into my own financial well-being and trying to educate myself um, and having some background because my dad, who was a CFO in his career, we always had the money conversations in the household. It just didn't always stick and resonate as much until I was a little bit older. Yeah. So, and then being, being that age of 31, where, especially as a woman and, and being single at the time and just looking around to my girlfriends and like, what are you doing? We should be smart about this. We can't just rely on getting married and someone taking care of it for us because otherwise we're not going to make decisions personally or professionally that are smart for us. So that kind of led me down a journey of how to be smart for myself and help my, my friends that just, organically turned into a passion that I was like, I want to pivot my career into doing this to help other women. Yeah, so that's, that's the round, long roundabout way. Yeah. And Self-taught. so taught. Yeah. And, you know, and obviously uh, similar to like the field that you guys are in, um, there's licensing, getting the accreditations. So it's not just, oh, hey, this is what I do on the side. It's like really getting my investment licenses, insurance licenses, and taking all the, the, the designations that I need and working towards those designations. So I have that depth of the knowledge, the education, the credibility. But yeah, it's being able to help people in such a very unique way mm -hmm. and impactful way. It's interesting that you had that experience in this other industry where you kind of self-evaluated and said, I'm not making enough money for what I want to do. Because I think architects <laughs> are in that same position. Exactly. For the beginning of the career, it's like, it seems like there's always that tipping point for architects where it's like, you don't make any money. You got to put the blood, sweat and tears into it. And then as you get older, you know, in, in I know in your, in your world, it's like the older you get, the more gray hairs you have, that's all of a sudden the money comes. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, before you got here, I think I was sharing with them that my first job, I think I made like 40 grand a year. I had nothing to put into a retirement. Me neither. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I was in living in LA where you're like, oh yeah, I think back to that. I'm like, how did I, I how did I eat? Like, where did I find, <laughs> where, did, where did I, yeah. How did we find a roof? Yeah. Um, it's the concept of when you have a space, you will fill it. So like, if you have more money, you will spend it. Yes, if exactly. you have less money, you, you just exactly. make do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think in for for in my career, it, you know, in the sports world, I think where I started to get really detached was because I started to realize that I was working hard and I really liked sports, but I was a fan. But working in it, just like in any field, all of a sudden there's you see the good and the bad and. I was becoming less and less of a fan because I was having to go to games and things that maybe seemed exciting on the outside looking in that just was like, I don't want to be at a football game on my Saturdays anymore. Um, I'm a Florida Gator fan. I don't want to go be at an Ohio State Buckeye game. And I think on the outside looking in, a lot of people think it's, a, it's the cool factor being in sports where I just started to get really, really detached from that and not feeling like I was making an impact in this world. Um, it's not that it's about, you know, being in a career that you have to make a ton of money because I think, you know, to Harper's point is that you can define what does value and, 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 you know, and what it means to you. Um, but it's doing something that you love, that you know, that you can grow with and make an impact on the world in the way that you want to make an impact. And I think that was my pivotal moment was that I didn't feel like I was doing that in the sports world. There's people there that, you know, in that industry that love it and feel like they can do that, then so be it. But for me and my journey, it wasn't, it was that. And then also not making money. I was like, wait, I need to make money. I'm, I'm fighting for a low six figure job, you know? Um, and not that that's nothing. It was also in that moment where, you know, being in young thirties and maybe from societal pressures of like, as a woman, you're supposed to be married and have kids. And if I want to achieve that, like, how am I supposed to live my life and, and not make money if it's just me on this salary? Almost 10 years later, I still ask myself that question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that we were just talking about that um, a little earlier when we were saying, you know, when you jump into trying to open your own architectural firm, in our experience, the three of us, we were able to do it because we had someone next to us that were meeting, you know, that financial gap that allowed us to take a risk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's not like you open business and suddenly money starts coming in. You open business and then one month there's nothing coming in, the next month nothing coming in, three months nothing's coming in, then you get one check then nothing the next month. Then the two months later, maybe there's a nicer check yeah. because architecture, you know, it kind of moves slow. It's not like you're selling shoes and then, yeah. you know, money's coming in right away. It's not a product that it has immediate return. And so we, we just discussed that before saying, you know, it, it was seriously because we had someone else next to us that allowed us to take that bigger risk mm-hmm. on. We all did it as married women. Right. At different points in our marriage or our our careers, but married women, which I mean, does that make it less valuable? No, absolutely. But it did help insofar as we weren't going to be homeless, like Audrey said, (laughs) like someone was going to provide shelter and food for us. Totally. And that doesn't mean that there isn't stress. Right. And I think that as business from from business perspective, right. (laughs) And then there's then there's different types of stress, even within the relationship. Right. Because you're having, you know, the anxiety just as a business owner 
Um, and then going through that, your own feelings of the ups and downs and starting something and, and putting your blood, sweat and tears. And, you know, every day as a business owner, I always say that, you know, financial planning is similar to architecture because it's not a tangible product. It isn't that instant gratification is what you do today in your financial life will help to position you, you know, down the road, you're going to see the rewards in the short term, but do you really see the full depth of what you're going to do today? No, but sim- similar to architecture is like you can just start with the design and you can start to see what it would look like, but you don't really know what it will actually be until it's actually completed. But every day as a business owner, even, you know, six years in, it's like some days I wake up and I'm like, what did I do to myself? <laughs> you know, like, it's just like, can it only I? some days, so it gets better. It gets better. I wake up every day yeah. and I say, okay, yeah, there's every like, well, you know, it's just the constant up and down. And even when you do feel like there's consistency or that you're at a level where you're like, okay, maybe this, the stress of this has gone away, but now the stress has this emerged. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, it doesn't make a difference if there's, uh, uh, you know, whether there was the financial backing and knowing that you won't be homeless without food to start. Um, I think that even gives you greater leverage in starting a business because if you can eliminate some of that stress, it gives you the mindset, right, to creatively develop the business. Right. You're lifted from certain burdens in order to open your mind right. to something greater. To other burdens. Yes, yeah, to yeah. other burdens. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have to get a bank loan yeah, to get exactly. started. Exactly. Where yeah. other type of businesses do yeah. need yeah. some kind of financial, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Uh, the startup help. is is a computer and your brain and your yeah. you know self-worth and yeah. your <laughs> past experience. Yeah. And that's your the cost of starting yeah. an architecture business. But you know, it's not like uh, I need facilities, I need manufacturing. Yep. It's mm-hmm. very different. But then, you know, as you change your business changes and morphs and mm-hmm. it grows if that's what ends up happening, it's still uh, you know, the financial mm-hmm. aspect of it also changes. Yep. Yeah. Or to speaking to that same point is maybe you think that your only expenses are your right. computer. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. At the beginning, though, I but think those we all, are we all slightly. Think that, yeah. And yeah. then, you know, then suddenly there is, you know, professional liability yes. insurance yeah. sure. mm-hmm. and general liability insurance and auto insurance and maybe workers' compensation insurance. Right. Yeah. Yep. And next thing, you need a bookkeeping software and then you need to pay a monthly fee for that and, and then, then you need payroll. your accountant yeah. and next thing you know that chills the computer software, software yeah. is a big one it's, yeah. it's always growing and then there's human capital is that you know there's as you grow the business you can't one person can't do every aspect of it so you have to as the business owner figure out where is your time best served so you can make sure that you can navigate through those valleys and what do you offload that are the lower level work, the $10 hour work, so you can stay on your higher level. I wish I know. <laughs> Some days I want to be, I'm like, can I just plug away? Someone I'll, tell me I'll what to do to pay me the $10. I mean, at this point, even if it's below minimum wage, I'll take it. Sometimes you wish, for sure. I just don't have to have my brain on and I'll just plug away. Yeah, no, in high school, I remember my first minimum wage job was like $4 and something an hour. 
poured off. <laughs> yes. yes, I'm not <laughs> kidding you. Audrey, yeah. you're not that old. <laughs> I don't know. That's what it was in Hawaii. It was literally four dollars and something. Wow. In Hawaii, that doesn't get you much. No, no. After yes, it was low. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's the same as like, oh, I made, you know, out of school, whatever, 40000 yeah. In yeah. my case, it was even less at one Mine, point. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Mine was 30 I think. I, yeah, 30 I think I made five, 38 I think, yeah. at, you know, as a salary. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. tiny. It's little. <laughs> so, Renee, I was wondering, um, you know, we're talking about financial planning and starting a business and being business owners. Do you think would your advice for us be different from a personal financial planning point of view than someone who was an employee for someone else? Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally, you know, the principles may be the same in certain aspects, but as business owners, from a financial perspective, it's, um, you know, really understanding what's the business bringing in, is the business bringing in money? Because a lot of times, and it's perfectly fine, I think that's where business owners tend to have more anxiety around is it takes time to grow a business and actually be profitable. So what is the business doing? What is the cost of running the business? And then really attaching what is on the personal side are you taking a salary or are you are you self, and are you self-funding do you have obviously you know maybe a, a spouse or a partner that's helping to maybe take care of the you know the household expenses and to navigate through all of that so you can give yourself you know the freedom to grow the business but then making sure that financially like are you putting the things in place to make sure that you're being well positioned to have freedom for those decisions um but maybe the the cash flow and the need to have you know cash on hand is probably greater for business owners than maybe for the w2 employee that 3 or 6 months worth of cash is perfectly fine and then go invest money somewhere else um, but maybe for the business owner, I know for myself, like, yeah, I like to have a longer runway because if I, you know, can't make payroll or I have a few bad months and I still have to pay, you know, my team, I just want to have money completely accessible. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think fundamentally there's components, but then obviously the the advice may be a little bit different for business owners. And in that case, when you're a business owner and you have that runway separating your personal runway from your business runway is that even like a thing or is it really solely intertwined I think ideally it should be separate, but realistically, I think when someone's growing a business and maybe at the beginning, it's going to be very intertwined. So I think it's navigating through with your board of advisors, um, you know, whether those are accountants, financial advisors, bookkeepers, like all those pieces or people, I should say, is really starting to navigate. Like if you're starting, how are you starting out as a business? How are you registered? And as you're growing business, making sure that the registration registration around the business is also, you know, up to date. So I think at the beginning, it's always going to be intertwined. But then at some point, there needs to be a division. And it doesn't make a difference, even if you're taking a very low salary, or as you're trying to give yourself a bigger salary, you have to start to separate. And so usually from the very beginning, I'll tell business owners at a minimum is, uh, you know, is to have a separate business checking and savings account that you can, (laughs) that's a big one. It's a big one. A lot of people People don't do that. People don't do that. And they, everything's coming out of their personal, like that, that's a nightmare for, for, for accounting purposes, for bookkeeping purposes, for, for your own financial sanity. sanity. (laughs) Um, 
And even if, if you are self-funding, whether it's through friends, family, yourself, whatever, it's like open up a business and checking and savings and deposit money to make sure you're just, you can at least minimally put money in there and not have to get the fee. And then even if you're not making money, just leave that open. I'll admit that when I first started, I didn't have a separate checking and savings, but I was running as a sole proprietor Mm -hmm. and I was not so busy yet that I couldn't just track income and expenses through a simple spreadsheet. But that definitely wouldn't work for me today. Not at all. Like <laughs> there's a tipping point. There is. I, I think, think that's yeah. when you're acting almost for me, at least it was like when I started my business, I almost started more as a freelancer. Right. And then I moved into actually being a business right. owner. And as a freelancer, it was fine to have everything mm-hmm. come out of my personal checking, yeah. saving, whatever. Right. Yeah. But the minute I started becoming more of a business owner, right. you, 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 you have had to, have, to switch. Yeah, you, you have had to, to switch. switch. Even yeah. as a sole proprietor, right. I still made that yeah. switch. Yes. And then when I became a corporation, I had to switch again. Yep. It was like a whole yes. other mm-hmm. switch. Yes. Yeah. Um, so as it grew from freelance to sole proprietor to to corporation, it changed every single time. And right. that's a good point because I think a lot of times, you know, people in especially in the professional service world, you can freelance and say, am I able to get clients? Yeah. Am I able to let me yeah, consult? Is, what and, I do. is this yeah. what I want to do and get clients? And so, yeah, to kind of, uh, you know, blend personal and business. And so going from sole proprietor to maybe escort, all of those different registrations as you're growing business needs to, you kind of need to keep every component growing with, you know, the different decisions. So yeah. uh, when, when we started these quarterly meetings that we were have, a lot of it was to share our discoveries through the experience awesome. of, oh, by the way, I just ran into this, you know, I form a corporation and now I get all these letters from EDD. You guys do <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> you start getting letters from EDD. It's like yeah, no one right. sent me so many letters oh, in my yeah. life. Yeah. yeah, Like Luciana became a corporation first. I We all hired an employee together, but as a 1099. Right. But then I hired... Uh, I think a full-time employee mm-hmm. first. And then I was like, you guys need workers comp. <laughs> yeah. It has to happen. <laughs> and yeah, that's a lot of the questions. A lot of people, you know, businesses are asking me, like, if I need the help, do I do 1099? Do I bring on the employee? It really depends on what, you know, what best serves you. The thing is that in, in architecture, you spend, you know, seven years of training at school, mm-hmm. um, learning about design and art and graphics and you know how to draw and history and maybe then you work at a farm you know producing uh, models and documentation and then you decide to go on your uh, you know to open your own farm and you go from a designer that has never done mm-hmm. any type of business <laughs> to a business owner a CMO, a CEO, a CMO. have your own you're, you're the own sales marketing department yeah. pr yeah. Uh, everything and i think that's the challenge for a lot of business that was a challenge for sure i mean i remember when i started uh, my own firm architecture and complex projects that was the easy part yep the difficult part was understanding you know what do i what do i need to do next yep Mm -hmm. uh what's you know every, every new challenge is okay now it's i have to sit down and study this Mm-hmm. Until I really understand how I have to do my own taxes. Right. I have to now sit down and really study this and maybe spend, you know, a couple of weeks asking people, 
what do you do when this happens to you? It's like, and, you know, yeah. trying to solve new challenges. And, and then at what point are you financially viable enough to outsource those things? Right. So yeah. like mm-hmm. at first you have to do it all yourself. You yeah. have to be mm-hmm. good at everything or good enough that you're surviving. Mm-hmm. But then what's the tipping point? And I think we're just now going through this question of like, yes, we already outsourced payroll, but like, yep bookkeeping, finance, mm-hmm. you know, invoicing, social media, like all of this, those are all monthly nut numbers. Like what's the tipping point of like, I should just do it myself or finally, I don't have to do it myself anymore. And I think that answer is going to be different for every business owner. Right. I kind of weigh the same thing myself. Um, understanding, because as the business owner, you should, you're obviously the owner, you should always be in business development, right? So, and people are coming to you for for your expertise, knowledge, and all that intellect, that is what's monetized. So everything else should be outsourced. Whether or not you can financially do it, then it's a matter of what are the pieces within that that will help you drive business, but you don't need to spend your time on. And I think it's like categorizing those things and then trying to figure out how to outsource because there's a component that maybe like the payroll and, you know, insurances, those things you have to have, right? But then those ancillary components or services, sometimes you have to invest money in order to make money. And then there's things where, okay, once I do that and I could grow a little bit business, I could go down the next tier and outsource that piece. And then as a business owner, you're like, I'm probably not going to be making any money for the next few years. Maybe even if I'm just breaking even, that's good. But I can maybe in four or five years or three years, whatever, uh, you know, the time frame could be based on your projection as a business owner. It's like, even if I'm just breaking even, at least I'm building a sustainable business. Right. So same thing in the personal world to maybe tie it back to the business owner question is as a business owner, even if you're not, quote unquote, financially thriving, how do you well position the business in three years, five years, so you can become a thriving, profitable business? Right. I think that finding that stability takes actually a few years, like just understanding all of your own personal systems in terms of how you approach a job, right? Like, or how you approach your business for the year, because you can start predicting, okay, these are the types of jobs I'm getting reliably. These are the types of fees I'm getting reliably. These are my expenses. And as that kind of incrementally changes, then you can start to maybe try to forecast. It doesn't Mm -hmm. always work so great in our industry to forecast because things happen and we're Mm -hmm. so reliant on our clients. Right. For us, it's been really hard to forecast because we're in a growth stage. Right. So like for us in the past two years, we've gone from just being me to now being five people. Yeah. So for us, that was, and it wasn't just like we hired five people and then we were good. It was like, we've slowly grown, which is good, stable growth. But I, I am yet to see like a pattern, right? Because it's we're just constantly hitting new things, understanding new forums, understanding new ways of doing things. So, you know, and now we're like, okay, do we grow again or do we try to stabilize? So for us, that's been difficult. I feel like I'm constantly learning new things. Yeah, that's good. To yes. be in that phase is to exhausting. be able, you know, it's exhausting, yeah. <laughs> but it's good. Yeah. Um, and I don't think any, like any one, you know, journey is going to be the same, but that's why I think uh, to your point and, and you guys getting together and kind of being a think tank for each other, um, 
you know, I think it's so much now that entrepreneurship or business ownership, it's so glorified and it's not easy and it's not going to be for everyone. And I think it's even more important for business owners, you know, outsourcing a board of advisors around you, you know, having the right, you know, financial, the, the human resources, the legal, all of those components that can devastate your business if you don't do it right from the beginning is have the right people, even if you're not having to pay them, but just know that you can tap into them. And that's why I think you see so often now is startups, you know, applying to the incubator. So this way they have that right support people. Yeah, you definitely have to be able to reach out to people. Yeah, because you you are no longer an expert. You well, you are an expert as an architect, mm-hmm. right? But now you're in the business world and you're mm-hmm. definitely not an expert in that. Yeah. So, and then at a certain point, you even like move away from the architectural aspect. Like, you know, how many days a week am I pro- project-based focused? Yeah. Not, not as many as I once was when it was just me, right? right. So yeah. you totally. definitely have to learn, like, what what's your genius and yeah. how do you stay within that or outsource what's not. Totally. Mm-hmm. But I it's think, hard. And I think as women, we, you know, not to obviously to generalize, but I think we think that we have to be good at everything. And when we're not, it it can psychologically, I think that's been the biggest hurdle um, that I see for business, women business owners, myself included, it's it's the mindset. And so if I don't work on, you know, my mindset every day in some capacity, my inner voice, my name obviously is Renee, but I, I call my inner voice Shanene. <laughs> I love that. I think I should adopt something like that. And Shanene is a big bitch. Yeah. And she will tell Nene and Renee what she can't do at all the time. And so if I don't control Shanene, like, and every, like, she'll tell me everything that I'm doing wrong and and what I'm not good at versus focusing on what I am good at. Do you think that Shanene focuses on the insecurities? Yeah, I think it's it's not just the business, the dollars and cents or growing the business. It's the mindset that mm-hmm. has to mm-hmm. in lockstep. You have to be thinking about on a on a regular basis and whether that is partnering with a mindset coach or having a think tank of people that you can go to that you know that you can mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I can be vulnerable and ask you this question. How do you navigate through that?" just so you can maintain um, some sort of level of sanity and get out of your own way because that's I think what hurts us the most is just being in our own way to be successful. I think it helps to have a plan and then be really flexible. Like if that plan is not working and so being organized enough to say, "Okay, here's what I ideally want to happen. And then when you evaluate, like, say, at quarter one, oh, crap, that's not what right. it's looking like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this month I'm not going to pay myself payroll because I need to meet these other expenses. What went wrong and how can I fix that? Yeah. I think that's yep. really essential. Yeah. Yeah. And creating systems to do that. We just finished up a business coaching um, mm-hmm. thing where it was like a three to six month kind of stint where we learned all these like business facing mm-hmm. concepts, right? That we I never learned in architecture school, of course. They like, what are your attraction channels? Yep. And, you know, mm-hmm. what are your uh, systems? And what is your, you know, projected goals and all these things? And I'm like, what what projected goals? Like we do the projects. This is I when, get the money. This is when schematic design is when DD is, and then we just do it. And yeah, we, we wing it and hope for the best. Yeah. But like 
we have to now in this growth mode, we had to learn like, no, that doesn't actually work very well. After a bad Q1 where you're like, what happened? Well, we didn't project anything. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. We should start doing that. And it's helped exponentially. Yeah. I'm not good at it myself. I'm a big picture person. So even though I, you know, work in the realm of finance, I think a lot of times people think that financial people are going to be very micro and like to work with numbers on a very micro level. I'm more of a strategic thinker and bigger picture person. So I like to either help business owners or people with the strategy and understand the tools and strategies that best fit them. And so that's how my mindset works. So when someone even for my own business asks me those kinds of questions, I full on panic. Because for me, it's I can think, here's the vision, I just need someone to help me execute upon the micro. Right. And I think for us, it was like, yes, we needed the long term vision, which we're still working Mm -hmm. on. And what is that, you know, in three years and five years and 10 years, but then also like, in order to get to that, we needed the micro level. And because our business grew, we didn't like start day one with a business plan and like, you know, this is what we're going to do. Right. It grew more organically, then it's now going backwards and placing those systems in place so that we could move forward. Yeah. Um, both financially, strategically, and, you know, just production wise. As you guys have grown your respective businesses and being in a, such a client facing business uh, and in such a realm that's personal, right? How have you evolved in working with clients and understanding what kind of projects you like to take on, the type of people that you mm-hmm. like working with so you can kind of have consistency and projections in some kind of capacity? I, I think that um, personally, it has been a really interesting journey on um, when you meet with a client and understand the project they have in mind to try to put together the contract and have both parties really go through that contract back and forth and in a way be on the same page about what are we here for, the expectations on time and um cost, schedule, and uh, different clients will have different requirements. You work for a project manager or a contractor, they've done that before, they understand construction. Sometimes when you work with a homeowner or a business owner that is developing their own offices or you know personal space, they have not gone through the design process, they have not gone through a construction process. And so in a way, we have to understand that they want and reflect our experience in that contract. And the only, and, and it sounds that is very, you know, just contractual, but in a way is educating the client and educating ourselves and making sure that we are both in the same page regarding, you know, we're going to meet this many times a, a week or monthly. Uh, we expect design to be done by this time. If we don't have it, there may be additional hours. Make sure we transfer this to the client constantly. So communication about where we stand on the contract or on the project and what are the payment expectations. And I think a lot of what makes a project successful is to be happy through the process yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. and understand each other. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with when one is starting to go kind of off the contract, whether it's the architect or the owner there's going to be a conflict soon because there's expectations are going to start going in different directions. And in a way, one thing I think I've been really working on and, and, and getting better at 
is to make sure that we capture all these conversations prior to getting started in the contract, even if it's just with one line that we, mm-hmm. and then share with the client, please review in detail, you know, add stuff, whatever you think I should be doing. Yeah. Let's put it in, 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 in an email. I'll, I'll put it in the contract, but like, let's make sure that we're on the same page. Yeah. And, um, I think that helps a lot through getting to know the client, getting to know what they have in mind and assigning the right fee for the right project and making sure that I'm going to be happy through the process and that they are going to be happy through the process. And, you know, I think design wise, I'm hoping that they chose me because they like my previous experience Mm -hmm. and I can share my work. But like the process is what may kill the project. Yeah, you're, totally. you're married to that person for the life of the project, whether yeah. it's six months and or probably five afterwards. years. And probably and afterwards. Probably afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Depending so, what happens so in the building. Really it's a long-term relationship. To get yeah. along and like each other. And it's very much, you know, I always say this to potential clients is like, I know I'm asking you to trust me a lot, but if you don't trust me now, this isn't going to work. Right, right. Um, you really have to know that I'm an honest person and I'm going to Correct. do the best for you. And that's why you're hiring me. You're hiring me, you know, yes, for design, but also for oversight so that I'm really making sure that you're having a good process. And if I'm not having a good process through this project, then you're definitely yeah. not going to be having a good process. So if I'm working double, triple what I should be working on a flat Mm -hmm. fee, the project's going to suffer very, very, very much. So it's better, like you're saying, to get on the same page the first go around. But it's hard. It's hard 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 to anticipate how much time a project could take because, you know, projects, they all take different (laughs) times. They all have different hurdles. They all have different, you know, overarching zoning uh, regulations or different reviewers that pick on different things. And so... Sometimes a project's going here and then, you know, so it's a hectic process. Overall design and construction, it's complex. And, and you don't want to take advantage. You're not, that's not your goal as a no. business owner is to take advantage of your clients because obviously you want them to be happy at the end so that they're going to refer you yeah. or give you mm-hmm. a good review or whatever it is. So your goal is never to take advantage, but at the same time, you would hope that they don't expect to take advantage of you and they know that you're really working for them. Totally. Right. Yeah. On the, like, how do you choose your relate to your clients, uh, tying it back to financial planning, I had the experience this year where I was really burnt out previously from having worked for a lot of clients who were on fast timelines. Mm-hmm. And I started preferring clients who were not in a rush. It was a, a lot less stressful in my head thinking and planning ahead. Well, people who are not in a rush, you can can't... never make a decision. Right. Can't yeah. make decisions or go away for a month right. or, you know, something, whatever happens. And then, and then what do you do in the right, interim? Your projections for how much money you yeah. thought you were going to be having coming in, the amount of work you thought you were going to have for the people you started hiring, um, it gets a little bit scary. And so um, I think that, you know, tying it back to the planning aspect, that was one of those lessons learned that I'm, you know, I'm always learning something new, but that was one where I thought, oh my gosh, I need to balance the clients who maybe are in a rush and the ones who are not. Right. And just diversify a little bit more, Mm -hmm. which I think is probably a financial strategy as well. Yeah. (laughs) I think from clients and from a financial perspective, I think diversification is important. 
Um, and then to your point, I think it's from a business development perspective, it's always diversification because as a business owner, you always have to be on business development as much as you guys, you know, you're being leveraged for your expertise in your particular area. But yeah, from a financial perspective, it's important to be diversified. So I'll use that analogy in the financial world. What's really important today is really thinking through having a combination of the right assets that are pre-tax dollars, post-tax dollars, market-based dollars, non-market-based dollars. Because again, you know, we're in a economic environment where when we're thinking about the longevity of our financial journey is that we're going to have to think through taxes and we have been in a a good market for the most part, right, for the last 10 years since the recession, which I know obviously hits your industry really hard when we're in a recession. Um, People all of a sudden put those things on the back burner. So especially as business owners, you know, how do you navigate through any of those downturns that you're not within your control? What are some assets that you can build that get you through that downturn? You know, assets that you can build that are just not on the grid of the market that are not going to be fully subject to taxes. You know, if you're working the corporate setting, obviously you can have a 401k and that's what a lot of people in the corporate setting, but I think a lot of business owners discount what kind of retirement planning that they can put into place. And that is, you know, either as a firm, have a 401k for yourself and for your employees, one as a benefit for your employees, but then two as the business owner is something that you want to have in place because a business owners do get killed on taxes. So you want to make sure you have some tax deductible vehicle that helps for your future. But then when you're thinking about your futures, how do you navigate through what, you know, 2008, 2009 felt like if you only put all of your eggs in that one basket, you're kind of being reactive to whatever the market and taxes will be. Living in this information age, we're lucky to be able to go on the internet and Google all these things, but we get so overwhelmed, so much information. So I like to kind of streamline where to put money into different buckets for people. And the first bucket would be cash. And that would be having an emergency fund, you know, and that may mean something different as a business owner. Having uh, the second bucket be uh, tax deductible money. So that's 401k, traditional IRA, SEP IRA, solo 401k, regardless, whatever that vehicle may be that best suits you based on your needs. But those are pre-tax dollars going in to help save on some taxes, but it's 100% taxable in distribution. The third bucket would be having tax-free dollars that are growing for you in, in parallel to what you're doing with the tax deductible dollars. Since those dollars are 100 percent taxable distribution you want to be growing an asset that is in distribution not be tax-free and what or would be, be tax-free what say. would be an example of the tax-free most dollars? mainstream vehicle that most people have heard of it doesn't mean that it fits everyone because of income limitations but is a Roth IRA so they complement each other because I'll use the example if your if your lifestyle need is a hundred thousand dollars in distribution and you only take $100,000 out of the 401k, you're going to be paying income taxes on that $100,000. Whereas if you can take $50,000 out of the 401k bucket and $50,000 out of the Roth or the tax-free bucket, you're paying taxes on $50,000 versus $100,000. You're saving on taxes there. So you want to have that complementary strategy. And then the fourth bucket would be you know investment taxable dollars. So that's where it's non-qualified dollars that having the right strategy around shifting dollars out of cash. So you're not hoarding that cash and 
putting dollars into an investment vehicle that is, you know, best suit you for either time horizon for that, for the goal, whether that's shorter term, that four to seven year range or longer term seven plus and, and how you want to be invested relative to the risk tolerance you want to take. And then the fifth bucket would be real estate. And what that means for us living in LA or higher cost living cities and why a lot of people feel like it's not achievable So, you know, my philosophy is to have at least a 20% down payment because I see too many times people being house poor and just because you can qualify for a certain amount as a loan doesn't mean that you should be reaching that entire amount. And I think there were people get excited like, oh, I qualify for this $2 million loan. And then they go and try to buy that property discounting the fact that they have to pay property taxes. They have to pay, you know, maintenance. They have to probably do renovations and insurance and closing costs. All of those things are they looking at things from the holistic picture. So my philosophy is when you can afford it, you can have that as part of your portfolio, but you should you diversify. Yeah. So, I mean, I think real estate, it's, it can be challenging, um, but at the end of the day, it's possible. And it just is not the asset that I think it was for our parents' generation. Which is somewhat depressing. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I am old school in my, in my thought process still. But I mean, I think the concept and, and it's not to say that I don't isn't believe that the American you know, dream, like, Oh, I will yeah, own my own, own home. home. And I think the meaning is different. It doesn't mean that well, you're wasting all that money on rent. Yes. Technically you don't own something you're when appreciating you're not appreciating anything. it as an asset, but can you afford the home? And if you're, if you're house poor, then that means that you're not nurturing any other buckets. So, you know, I can argue that, you know, someone who maybe is renting um, and not building equity in that particular bucket can be building equity in another bucket that is well positioning them to maybe down the road, maybe, you know, they can own real estate instead of the two or three year time frame. maybe they're, they're what they're doing today is well positioning them to own real estate in an affordable way where they can still nurture the other buckets in a seven year time frame. Right. Um, Especially if like you think of the concept of, oh, I'm throwing all my eggs into my real estate bucket and I'm going to use it for my retirement. I'll sell my home. But then where are you going to live? That's I think the biggest so, thing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, I think people forget you know, that, that the, really work the functionality of real estate and having a home, a primary residence, right, is you need to live somewhere. Right. So can you borrow equity within your home? Yes, you can absolutely do that. But then again, you're having to either pay back what you draw from or use a home equity loan, which is you got to pay it all back. So, you know, later on in life, you're still going to be in debt. So, you know, taking a second mortgage out, you have to be careful about doing that as well. And maybe part of that goes into the concept of like our, you know, our generation it maybe isn't able to afford to own as quickly, but we also are already in debt much more than previous generations. And that's the student loans, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And, so, and the education. Yeah. And But that's why I said at the beginning, it's our generation. Retirement or financial independence is going to be the biggest purchase you'll ever make. And for modern generations, I'll say is that it comes down to personal savings and how we're having to self-fund because we don't have the social security and the pensions that we can rely on like previous generations. So we naturally have to reshift our mindset in what does that, what does our financial planning look like and how are we valuing the different assets and how are we diversifying because it's different. My father even said to me when, as I was getting older, what I did to position myself to be here and have the flexibility and freedom doesn't work for you. So at this point you have to get the education that will help you at 61 years old be in a place because it's different. I can't tell you how to well position yourself for 61. 
Yeah. And it's funny that you say like, this is the biggest investment you'll ever make. And I'm sitting across from you at the table hearing that where we so often sit across from our clients and say, this is the biggest investment you will ever make. (laughs) And you know who, I guess they're both correct, right? Like your, your property may be the biggest investment you ever make or your, or the retirement. Well, I think both. Well, I think the retirement is the biggest purchase you'll ever make. It's the biggest purchase. So I think the investment is in your home, right? So the things that you guys do are investing into that asset and nurturing that asset and, and building so they can get doing it properly and doing it properly. Right. right? So you get better ROI. Exactly. But I think it's fundamentally for this generation and moving forward, it's about diversification and a combination of different products per se. And then also the the other conversation we often have with clients and I'm sure you do too, Audrey is like, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, what is this asset to you? Is this a five-year asset? Is this a 10-year asset? Is this your quote-unquote forever Forever asset? asset? Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore, we would design accordingly to that concept, right? As an architect, you're guiding your client's in a financial direction as well. Totally. And a, a reason why talking about their ROI in the beginning versus the end is very important. And I'm having the same exact type of conversation with clients instead of it being the tangible asset that it may be with real estate or commercial property, it's in their plan. You know, what are your goals? What's the time frame around those goals? How do you design a plan that best suits you to be on track to achieve those goals in a realistic time frame? If we have this roadmap and having these type of conversations, we can maybe achieve these goals sooner than later, right? right? Because otherwise, you know, if you're just kind of happenstance, just trying to work towards something, do you have the technical savvy, right? Your clients don't have the technical savvy to do the design and to see their vision to fruition. Same thing on my end. A lot of synergy between our (laughs) world. Very true. true. (laughs) Yeah. And then in life, those are your buckets, but then your business needs buckets also. Oh yeah. Your business, you know, needs buckets as well. Probably similar buckets. So maybe the numbers may change. Like, should you have your runway be a little bit different from a business and maybe on your personal side, do you need to hoard more money than on a business? Absolutely. And sometimes those buckets will overlap. Sometimes you'll need to separate those buckets. When you're, for instance, running a business Mm -hmm. and you are an employee of the business, but you're, you know, your salary is like negligible or whatever, for whatever reason, at what point are you like, okay, I can take from profit versus reinvesting into the business? I think it's looking at your lifestyle needs and understanding what do you guys need to personally do to progress yourself forward. You know, as you're looking at the business and looking at what the salary that you're payrolling yourself at this point, and how can you incrementally increase that to satisfy your savings needs and lifestyle needs for your personal journey? Because ultimately, you know, regardless, and I know we, and you guys obviously know this better than I do, joke that architects, you know, you can work well into you know, <laughs> 80s and 90s, yeah. and especially as there's medical and technology technology advances that maybe we're living well into our hundreds and we'll see architects, you know, working well into our hundreds. I hope not personally for me. Yeah, like at some point. You want to slow down. I mean, even in my world, like I can work well into my 70s, 80s. I like to work and foresee myself wanting to always continue to work as long as I can. But at some point you want to like... I think there's also a difference between working and hustling, right? And I love to 
do what I do. And I will hopefully, God willing, do it into my 80s and 90s, right? But I think there's a difference between being young and hustling and then being older and hustling. You you may not be like retiring, but... There is a difference in lifestyle between even what I could do five years ago and what I can do now. Totally. It's yep. Very much becoming a parent, like I cannot hustle for the rest of my life in the same way. No, it's you, too. It's exhausting. you'll burn out way yeah. too soon. To that point, it's really reframing the word retirement to financial freedom and independence because it doesn't mean that you're sitting on an island by yourself, not talking to anyone, collecting so, a social security, collecting check. social security. Yeah. I if mean. It's there. Yeah, you know, I would love to be doing that with just, you know, some margaritas in my hand. But um, it's more about how do you reach financial independence to have those options and flexibility. So the concept of, you know, sort of previous generations that you work for a company, uh, and you're there for the duration of your career, and then you put money aside and you go to retire and you sail off into the sunset. It's just not our modern generations. Um, it's really about financial freedom and flexibility. Do I continue to work the way I want to? Do I do I continue to hustle because maybe I can want to continue to hustle, or do I not? Or do I change professions? Do I change right? professions? Maybe you, you know, start like consulting. I, right, you know? exactly. Maybe yeah. you start I teaching. Think a lot of you know? people in the architecture space and in other professions, yeah. they leave their professional career and they consult or they become advisors. And I think it's about, uh, yeah, giving yourself that freedom. Those priorities are always going to shift. It's about where do you want your time and energy to go into. And I think naturally, as we get older, there may be as we're, you know, thinking about families and just personal time. How do you find that balance? I know that could be a whole other topic. We could sit here for days and days. And how do you find <laughs> balance in life? There's there no, is there's no, no there is no balance. As you said this morning, as I'm holding the baby yeah. and the contractor calls at 7.30 a.m. I'm like, sure, I'll talk, I'll talk to, you. to you. Don't mind the baby in yeah. the background. No, yeah, yeah, baby, don't mind yeah. it. I'm right. having exactly. a phone call. As yeah. he's like screaming totally. at me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we all have different types of firms where, you know, Audrey, you're more residential-based. Mm-hmm. I'm more residential-based, but I also do commercial and retail, and then Luciana is like maybe half and half. Academic work and healthcare. And residential. Okay, yeah. And commercial. And I think in, you know, in working with people in architecture, it is about diversifying in different types of projects, whether they're, you know, residential, mm-hmm. commercial, are they here overseas, depending on, you know, all the different licensing. Um, so when there is a downturn here, can you have projects, you know, overseas or in different areas? Um, or our clients, you know, from a financial perspective, does, you know, the higher net worth client, they may not be pulling back the project that the person who's making, you know, a little bit less um, diversifying within the net worth. Or someone also someone told me like, okay, well, you know, as a small firm, have things in your back pocket to pick up, keep working on them and saying, "I, I do them so that when you there is the downturn, like tenant improvement. Everyone will still be moving offices. Everyone will still be changing locations. Like that will always be something that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like custom residences, that takes Mm -hmm. a hard hit. And I would argue that in LA, residential does take a hit, but 
people with money who don't need financing will have money. Will yes. have money. That's what, yeah. I mean, I think in a market like Los Angeles, yeah. I think we're cushioned a little bit in a, in a different way than if we were sitting here not to pick on anyone living in Kansas or, you know, somewhere else. You know, it's different. I think being here, and we always talk about the real estate market and the prices out here. That's the question I get every single day is like, when should I buy? Do you think there's going to be, you know, looking at these prices here mm-hmm. and trying to own, you know, a window? for 1.5 million. Um, (laughs) When can I actually get into the market? And it, my answer is always when you can afford it. Um, It's not, not waiting for a downturn in, in the real estate because we just don't know, are we really going to feel the depth of the the downturn here? It's going to correct, but it's not going to be what it was in 2007. And the downturn in real estate, it means also just changing, you know, from uh, the residential market that got a hit back then was also the one by developers. Yeah. A lot of Mm -hmm. it were like not so much as when there is a downturn, there's also a lot of new opportunities. Absolutely. Houses were sell and people were moving. So it's, I think it's more like where the, where the funding is coming from. Totally. And that market may get a hit. Yeah. Yep. So even within a market, diversifying in terms of the types of clients you work with mm-hmm. or the types of funding they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Because I think that will help navigate through any of those, you know, moments where I have no clients or where's money coming from right. or your business, you know, the longevity of the business can be sustained and not having to, you know, pull back on payroll and, you know, um, because people's livelihoods, when you bring, that's the part is that when yeah. you as a business owner, <laughs> yeah. you're like, wait, now I have people's livelihoods that are relying on me to make sure I go out and continue to produce. Yeah. That, right. their oh, no. livelihood, yeah. but then also your own. Oh, right. yeah. for, for me, like my husband and I run the business together Okay. Now, so it's really our livelihood. Yeah. Like there is no cushion anymore. Yeah. Um, we started with a cushion. He had a different job, yep. but now since he's joined. So for us, it's like we this live, is, eat, oh, yeah. breathe, die by this concept. Yeah. Um, and not to mention the other three people that livelihood, their livelihoods, yeah. you know, right. are affected right. by us. So, you know, one thing that I think has been kind of um, a lot of more established firms have been thinking about has been succession planning for their business, but also mm-hmm. retirement planning in general is a good thing for us to think about because I think we're at an age where we should at least be starting to yeah. plan for that. I think we're a ways from succession planning. Yes, but it never hurts. Never yeah. hurts. I think exactly. Um, I, I mean, that would be wonderful. Maybe retiring yeah. at the age of you know forty five, but I don't think like it's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> is it like when I walk out this door, can I retire? Um, that won't be happening for me either. So fundamentally, whether you're a business owner um, in any capacity or you know a corporate employee, the sooner you start to save for retirement, the better. Mathematically, it's just you can't really beat the mathematics around that. But as a business owner, there's a lot of times as I transition from the employee to the business owner, now I was having to make decisions. Do I put as much money as I was putting into my 401k or do I keep that cash flow so I can put back into the business instead of putting $10,000 in this year and I don't put anything into my retirement account as much as it goes against my fundamental being, if I can grow a business, well, then I can maybe catch up. 
there's decisions as a business owner that you may have to do as you're growing the business. But then when you're at a certain point, and especially at a certain age, you should be thinking about retirement planning. You know, there's going to be vehicles as a business owner that help lower your taxable income. Business owners get killed on taxes. So you have to be thinking about it from that perspective. How can you, instead of paying the taxes, why not put something into, you know, a vehicle that helps you for your future and save on taxes from a succession planning perspective, even though it's such a far concept to think about what does it look like when I'm actually, you know, close to retirement. But I think it's diversifying your employees too, because are there people either now or down the road that you're going to bring on in the business that can become your second hand person that as you're either not working as much because Mm -hmm. you don't want to or traveling the world with your, your family or giving more time and energy to family that they can pick up, but you're still maybe the figurehead and be able to tap into the projects that you want to tap into, but you have to have the retirement planning to be able to do that. So it's the chicken and the egg, but it's important. And then the other part of the conversation that I have with business owners a lot is when do I offer benefits? Because as much as you're paying those people and you're paying them a salary to be invested into your business and your vision, they may believe in you and believe in the business, but there's going to be a tipping point for them too, where they're going to need to be able to think about things for their own future and continue to be invested in your business is offering them those rewards of 401k planning, group benefits, like protecting their income, like long-term disability. What happens if one of them can't work for a long period of time? Yes, that will really suck for your business, but you know if they can't generate income for themselves, that completely derails their financial planning. Um, if they have, you know, families themselves and to think about group life insurance, those pieces are important as in a business owner and bringing on employees is when do you start to think about those things? And they're cheap. You can write off some of those administrative costs. And I always tell business owners, you don't have to offer a match, but then just being able to offer the option as an employee, you can put in at least for 2019, $19,000 into the 401k versus the $6,000 into the traditional IRA. Yeah. So, you you know, depending on what their personal circumstances, they may want to be able to put in 19000 because they have someone else in their household who's maybe bringing in more money and leverage their income as the tax deductible. So all those things as a business owner, as you're growing the business, it's important to think through not only for yourself and your own financial plan, but for your employees that are putting in their blood, sweat and tears into your business. Yeah. I mean, I I was impressed, Harper, that you asked your employees to rate the benefits and how Mm -hmm. important they are. That was something we did um, at the beginning of the year, I think, is we're trying to start planning for when we can implement those things. We're not quite there yet. We're we're inching toward it, and mm-hmm. we're we're pretty close. Um, insofar as we're trying to get benefits implemented, yep. we offer benefits like you know unlimited PTO because mm-hmm. that's something that like we can plan for as a business. But you know now as we do start offering benefits, what are the benefits that the people that already work for totally. us want? So mm-hmm. like, do they want four hundred one ks or do they want? higher salaries or, mm-hmm. you know, what is it that they want so that we can put that money into something that they're interested in. We had a little bit of a diversification of wants. So that's yeah. where we have to, you know, mm-hmm. kind of cut the cake and figure out yeah. who gets what. But um, because obviously if you're implementing one thing, it has to be for everybody. For everyone. Yeah. But that was something that we did do. I think that it was like 401k, um, bonuses, mm-hmm. PTO, uh, higher salaries, 
um, like retreats or, you know, yeah. office-based um, fun or whatever yeah. it is, or a few other things. And as a business owner, it's to think through those and not always feel like you have to do it all at once. So and we will not right. be doing you it. There's do, no way. There's no way. It's, so know, it's, as it's we're working hard to even get like, okay, the 401k, like that's a really yeah, good one totally. you know, for us and for them. Like yep. we don't have that either right now. And it's just like in planning anything, it's a roadmap. And what are the things that, uh, you know, may you can take immediate action today that are no brainers. Maybe that's the, on limited PTO, but then in a year from now, three years from now, how do we, what's the roadmap and thinking through that versus I see a lot of times, you know, business owners or even people in their financial, personal financial journey, it's like they arrive somewhere and then start to think about it. That's what kind of creates a lot of angst is how do you be proactive in the education and understanding of what that roadmap looks like? So, you know, you can go out and go for the projects that you project and forecast. And sometimes you're going to be off kilter, but everyone's going to work hard knowing that you're on some sort of path. Right. Yeah. I think, um, one of the things that, you know, architects are terrible at is thinking about business and finance. And for me, like, working with an accountant to do my taxes and learning about things like a self-employment IRA or a solo 401k mm-hmm. were really eye-opening because it was like an, an another argument for me to consider in terms of growth versus maintaining mm-hmm. the business as it is. And there's trade-offs to both um, in terms of how much work you can take on the possibility of bringing in much more profit with the economy of scale. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, it was really interesting for me having not known any of that starting out to have my eyes open just a little bit in terms of the factors that are out Mm -hmm. there that we learn as we go, unfortunately. And what it takes, like what's the monthly nut Right. To, to run the business and how does that change as you grow, whether you're changing your benefit structure mm-hmm. or your payroll or your insurance. As you grow, your insurance cost grows, as I was just on the phone with them yesterday. You know, yeah. like mm-hmm. it, it, everything changes and how do you then change your perspective and your plans mm-hmm. as those other things change? Yeah. Totally. And that's where I think having – you know, the planning and having a roadmap and having as a business owner um, is having those right board of advisors around you. And so from the financial side, I think it's, you know, financial advisor, accountant, your CPA, right? Because a CPA and accountant, they're great at filing taxes and helping with tax specific advice. And that's a question I get a lot of times. It's like, what's the difference of the advice you give and maybe an accountant? And we kind of work in concert because I'm not licensed to give specific tax advice. I can help people with tax efficiencies as part of their plan, but I'm not filing taxes. I'm not giving tax specific advice. Accountants are looking back on the year where advising is really thinking about what is that strategic roadmap. And so thinking ahead and having that strategic brainstorming and thinking and having, um, the bookkeeping service, whether that is something that, you know, you're, you're, as you're maybe starting out in business, having the QuickBooks and it's something that you can manage yourself. And then as you grow, maybe you need to outsource it to a service or to a person really kind of thinking through all of those people on the financial side, having the right legal help and get making sure that as you're growing business from an HR and legal perspective, that, um, the business is growing and, uh, appropriately yeah. and having the right contract, especially compliance. 
compliance in California is a pain in the yeah. yeah. So the legal and HR component sometimes they can be blended into one, but thinking about it separately and those need to be your core board of advisors. So again, leveraging the expertise that you have and outsourcing other areas. Because again, even though I do work in the financial space, I still need to have a board of advisors around me. I can't always be in my own perspective and I'm not good at everything. I think that's actually maybe part of why architects get a bad rap as bad business people. I mean, I think inherently we we were very bad business people. I think we're starting to get better mm-hmm. and better. But I think part of that is like, we, for our jobs, own everything. Like we don't do everything. Like we still outsource the structural yeah. engineers, whatever, they're the experts, but we orchestrate it, right? We bring it all together. Yeah. We coordinate it. We're like the You're mind's the eye behind yeah. all of it, yeah. right? And it's the same thing in a business. It's really hard, I think, at at least in our business, for us to Mm -hmm. get ready to outsource something and be like, someone else can own that totally. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't get to coordinate it. I don't get to understand it and really digest it. You know, I may not be the accountant filing the taxes, but I still want to be very, very, you know, into it. And I'm like, well, I can't be into everything. Um, So I think for architects, because... We are actually very good in a small way at a lot of things. It makes it hard for us to give them away, Mm -hmm. which makes it hard for us to run successful businesses because I think part of running a successful business is really giving others room to, to really take something. We're not very good at that. And I think to use a sports analogy, I think as an architect, you're quarterbacking and coaching so many, the project and so many different people. You are, like you said, you are, you know, the the, the point of contact for all the, and, and, and managing all the different components. From a business perspective, that's where you should be, you have, you should be in the owner's box and not having to quarterback and coach all those pieces. Right. Being in the owner's box doesn't say that you don't have the high level view of understanding of what's going on, but it doesn't mean that you have to quarterback. But you have to trust. And I think as an architect, you're inherently questioning everything. Uh, That's part of your job. You're questioning details. You're questioning connections. You're questioning how someone else is doing their job and how it works with what you're creating. You're an ultimate creator, Mm -hmm. right? So as a business owner and an architect, you're constantly questioning. And as a high level owner, Owner. you cannot question everything. You literally will be exhausted and (laughs) dig yourself an early grade. You'll go out of business. And and that's, I I, like thought a lot about this over the past few months because I'm like, why are architects inherently bad? And why supposedly at business? And why are we struggling to a certain extent We're growing in theory rapidly, but like what could make us grow even more rapidly? And I know in my heart of hearts, it's like, just get rid of some stuff. Let other people do Do their genius. But it's so hard for me to to give away that trust and just say it will be okay. Yeah. I have a control issue too. Yeah. So, <laughs> Maybe that's also, architect. that's an architect problem and a woman problem, yeah. I think also. Well, can I ask a question? Yeah. So, okay, if you are hiring people to handle your finances, a bookkeeper, mm-hmm. an accountant to do your taxes, and a financial planner, mm-hmm. can you use the same sort of uh, sports analogy to talk about what those roles are and what your role is? Yeah, I think the advisor or financial planner role is probably the coach. Okay. And maybe the CPA or accountant is the quarterback. And the bookkeeper 
maybe the wide receiver, right? Like, <laughs> or you know, the, the runner. The, run, right, the, the running back <laughs> yeah. that is kind of on a day-to-day is kind of going through the grind of the yeah. business. And so that's probably maybe even a, on a football analogy perspective. Um, yeah, more of a running back on a day-to-day is just kind of grinding through like, you know, just what your P&L is because that's where a lot of business owners kind of – it's hard to – know all the expenses and that come well, in and going out you may out know the, the expenses but, but like for instance when we were a sole proprietor you don't really need a PL. You know, like no. there is no p no, but as a corporation you're like you, you need, need a, a PL. Well, and no, you we do. learned that the hard way last year yeah. so this year we're like now we're transitioning everything to quickbooks and yeah. outsourcing mm-hmm. like you know i need my balance sheet yeah. where's my balance yeah. sheet yeah you know but it, no. It's it's different, and so P and L meaning profit and losses. I think even as a sole proprietor, P and L just means P. That's your income, or right. But not. it gets yeah. more it gets more, more complicated, complicated once you get into the balance sheet realm. Yeah, where it's like where are where are you taking deductions? Where yeah. are you taking you know losses and tax gains? I mean, it, it gets it. much it gets more complicated. Complicated. But I, when I start, I think it's, you know, I tell business owners when they're starting out, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, we all have different processes. So it's the same thing, in the, you know, when we're trying to budget, do you use a Mint app? Do you like an Excel spreadsheet? You know, I always ask those questions to people because people, we have different process and what works for us. I think, you know, for a business owner, when it comes to bookkeeping is to understand what are your line items when it comes to your expenses, where as you're growing business or as you're, you know, hitting a plateau, where, where are some areas that maybe you're overspending that you can kind of redeploy dollars somewhere else. So that's where I think the bookkeeping service, um, QuickBooks and all those services are great. And sometimes some business owners will say that I need to partner with a bookkeeping service. And um, and I think just like in your world, uh, I think in any professional service world, it's always about asking for referrals to other professionals that can help build that board of advisors for you. One of the points you made was that what you do is different from a tax accountant. So like life insurance and things yep. like that, the advice you wouldn't get from an accountant. So I think that yeah. analogy of coach, quarterback, and then the runner person. Sorry, I'm running not a back. It's a okay. person. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and then in theory, you know, you you want to do those things. You need to do them, but then you're kind of stunted in like, how do I implement this? Yeah. What does this mean? Not only in like, yes, how, where do I sign? Who do I get to like implement it? Totally. But also like, what is the financial repercussion of that implementation? Yeah. Today, tomorrow, yeah. five years from now. Mm-hmm. So there's so many components yeah. that for me, like my brain just goes a little bit. Yeah. Like yeah. I can't. On that side, I think, uh, especially on the protection piece is where most people will think about it. We may cross our mind and kind of run through our mind, but when it comes to implementation, you need someone to help you execute upon that. And that's where, whether that is a property and casualty insurance broker or someone who does business insurance or myself on the financial advising side, I specialize in life insurance, long-term disability insurance. And for all of us, as we get older, the long-term care insurance, but all of those components, you know, as a business owner or in your personal life are going to be things that you need to protect everything that you're doing offensively. So to, again, to kind of bring in my sports analogy is that you can't run offense without any sort of defense. Human nature is that we don't really like to think about the the risks and the consequences doomsday. of it, the doomsday, but we have to. 
and the insurance piece is where we need someone to actually hold our hand and execute to understand what kind of insurance do we need? How much coverage do we need? Whether that's, you know, the property and casualty, the business insurance, the life insurance, the disability insurance, all those pieces. Um, and then everyone has a different opinion though, because I just went to uh, a AIA small business seminar mm-hmm. thing and they had someone speaking on insurance or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about long-term care insurance and, uh, the guy next to me who's a sole proprietor, he was like, oh, well, you know, my I've decided I'm never getting long-term mm-hmm. care insurance because my we got long-term care for my mother. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you looked at the cost of the policy yep. over, you know, whatever it was, 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. and then how much return she got from her investment, it was like she probably invested more in the cost of the policy than she got from the return of the investment. So, you know, it's a little bit of a give and take and everyone has a different opinion. Everyone has a different opinion. And I think that's where when it comes to insurance, what's the right product for that person? And then looking at the insurance carrier, I see it all the time. People are not in the right products and with the right insurance carrier. Sometimes you're going to pay a higher premium. There's a reason why insurance carrier may have a higher premium, but it may serve your need differently than someone else. Um, So all kind of navigating through all of that is important. And yeah, everyone's going to have their different opinion. We're going to value things in our life differently. But I think as an advisor, it's always to give people that narrowed education around the tools and strategies Mm -hmm. that best serve them. You know, I'm always open to having a conversation with anyone and, you know, zero obligation, uh, just to make sure that I can at least answer financial questions and know that there's a good place to ask those questions and, you know, we'll never be pushy. But I always think it's important to at least have a no obligation consultation or, you know, offer that for people. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This is so fun. Hey, before you go, I want to ask a favor. If you love this show and haven't yet subscribed, please do. It helps our rankings so more people can discover the show. And as an added benefit, you'll never miss an episode. I hope our discussion has gotten you thinking about your own financial roadmap. And if you want to, contact Renee. You can do so at renee.cohen at nm.com and I'll put links in the show notes so you don't have to worry about spelling. I'm your host, Audrey Sato. Today's guests were Renee Cohen, Harper Halperin, and Luciana Tagliaferri. Our next episode will be coming soon, and is a live taping of a conversation I had from SciArc Spin Room. And hey, shout out to listener Robert Andrade. I hope I'm saying your name right. I really enjoyed your email, so thank you. If you want to be a super fan like Robert, you can reach out to me too at hello at xx-la.com or hit me up on Instagram at xxlapodcast. Thanks for listening.